a group of foragers walked along a stream. They enjoyed the cool shade of the trees as two women scanned the canopy for ripe fruits. This was a welcome respite after a long walk under the hot sun of the open savanna. One woman carried a spear, tipped with a stone point. Another a small basket to bring food back to camp. Three children trailed behind and played in the water. From a distance, they looked much like modern human children. But a closer look at their faces reveals features unlike those of anyone alive today. And yet, these people were the earliest members of our species, living in Africa 300,000 years ago. As the woman with the spear stooped down to take a drink, she heard leaves rustle off in the distance, then a faint voice. She sprang into action, quietly alerting the other adults and hurrying back to the children behind them. Their concerned looks and stern words frightened the children, who quickly ran back up the stream. The oldest child's curiosity got the better of her, and she turned around to watch the strangers arrive. She saw several human-like creatures coming towards a tree full of fruit, some swinging from branch to branch high up in the canopy, and others walking upright. This was her first time seeing these creatures, although she'd heard stories of them from her elders. They were shorter than normal people, had arms that were too long for their body, and made funny sounds. As she watched one eat a fruit, she made out its giant teeth, which startled her. Turning back, she followed the rest of the group. The adults knew that encounters with these creatures were risky, especially with so many children, and so they made sure to get away unnoticed. These creatures are what we today call Homo naledi, a distant evolutionary relative of ours, who lived at the same time and place as the earliest members of the Homo sapiens lineage. We know little about them or how members of our species interacted with them. However, encounters such as these were part of life for our ancestors long ago in Africa. Welcome to Our Prehistory, Episode 2, Origins of Homo Sapiens. Pinpointing the date which marks the origin of our species is probably impossible for two reasons. First, archaic hominins evolved the set of traits that define Homo sapiens in a slow, gradual process over hundreds of thousands of years. Our modern form did not emerge in a revolutionary burst of change and so there's no clear boundary dividing us from earlier hominin species. Second, and perhaps more importantly, determining the start of our prehistory requires us to answer a surprisingly philosophical question. What defines Homo sapiens and separates us from our evolutionary ancestors? Is it our anatomy, 
our intelligence, our social bonds, our ability for language, or something else. These traits did not appear together as one package, so humanity's origin will depend on the answer. Our journey through prehistory in this podcast will start with a broad period of time during which many fundamental species-defining transformations took place. Specifically, this is the period of African prehistory known as the Middle Stone Age, which runs from about 300,000 years ago to 40,000 years ago. This was a time of dramatic shifts from success to struggle, including periods of growth and expansion, and times of population collapse and isolation. We will begin with the emergence of our evolutionary lineage in Africa among populations that looked and acted differently than we do today. By the end of the Middle Stone Age, humans will have evolved into their modern form. By exploring this period of human transformation, we will gain a firm understanding of which behaviors, strategies, and abilities are rooted at the beginning of our species. Which social structures and technologies did humans carry with them as they expanded around the world? What did we possess that allowed our ancestors to outlive many other hominin species? Answering these questions will require several episodes. My plan is to cover the early part of the Middle Stone Age from 300 to 128,000 years ago in two episodes. These will span the African continent where we will examine the genetic and fossil evidence for the origin of Homo sapiens and describe the environment our ancestors occupied. We will also introduce our close hominin relatives who we shared the planet with during the Middle Stone Age. In the second episode, we will explore the archaeological record, which will shine light onto human behavior deep in our prehistory. After these two episodes, we will continue on to the late Middle Stone Age, after 128,000 years ago, during which regional patterns and fundamental innovations in human culture take place. So first of all, we must ask a critical question. How do we know that Homo sapiens evolved in Africa? This idea has only become widely accepted by scientists in the past 30 years, and it comes from two types of evidence. DNA sequences of modern humans and fossils of ancient hominins. The name hominin refers to the group that includes us, Homo sapiens, and other closely related species on the evolutionary tree, such as Homo neanderthalensis and Homo erectus, as well as more distantly related species from genera like Australopithecus and Paranthropus. So first, let's look at what genetics can tell us about the origin of our species. The ability to sequence our four-letter DNA code has allowed scientists to explore genetic diversity within modern-day human populations. The information found within people living today has clues about our ancient past. One key discovery made by geneticists is that modern-day populations in Africa have much more genetic diversity than all human populations outside of Africa. That means that Africans tend to be genetically more distinct from other Africans than, for example, Asians are from other Asians. 
This can be seen clearly in mitochondrial DNA sequences, which we all receive from our mothers and which have been classified into the main branches of the human family tree. Each branch represents an ancient division of the human population. Of the 42 main human lineages, only two are found in people outside Africa, and the other 40 are found only in Africa. Chromosomal DNA, which we receive from both our parents, shows a similar trend. This surprising discovery suggests that Homo sapiens has lived longer in Africa than in any other continent, because more time allows for more accumulation of genetic diversity through mutations. Also, colonization of new regions tends to reduce genetic diversity, because not everyone from the old region will colonize the new region. So lower genetic variation in Europe, Asia, Oceania, and America most likely resulted from the migration of a small number of people out from Africa who only carried a small part of the genetic diversity which was present in Africa tens of thousands of years ago. Therefore, a human origin in Africa is the best explanation for the existing pattern in human genetic diversity. Not only can genetics give us an idea of where humans evolved, but also when we originated. Genetic studies show that our species has very little diversity compared to other species like chimpanzees, suggesting that we come from a small population that lived not that long ago in evolutionary terms. Again, time is needed for genetic diversity to accumulate. One early study of mitochondrial DNA estimated that everyone living today is descended from a single female ancestor that lived about 160,000 years ago. In other words, humanity's most recent common female ancestor. She was sometimes called Mitochondrial Eve. Although this is a catchy name, geneticists today think that there probably wasn't a single individual woman from whom we all come. I won't get into the reasons why here, but mitochondrial DNA only holds part of our genetic story. More recent studies using chromosomal DNA have come up with older estimates for our origin. For example, a study estimated that the source population from which all people living today are descended existed about 320,000 years ago. One reason for differences in these time estimates is that scientists are not exactly sure how quickly human DNA mutates. Assuming faster rates of mutation would yield estimates that are more recent, whereas slower rates would produce older dates. So taking this uncertainty into account, the best current estimates suggest that modern humans share a common ancestor population that lives sometime between 320 and 150,000 years ago. This genetic evidence debunks another theory of human origins, which used to be popular and said that Homo sapiens evolved separately in Europe, Asia, and Africa from Homo erectus, a tool-bearing, fire-using hominin who spread out from Africa about one and a half million years ago. If this theory had been correct, the DNA of people across the world would be much more diverse than it actually is. Instead, genetic studies trace the first split in the human lineage not to Homo erectus, but to foragers that live today in southern Africa, known as the Khoisan. These groups live mostly in the Kalahari Desert, 
and speak an extremely distinctive set of languages that include click consonants. At some point between 320 and 150,000 years ago, the ancestors of the Khoisan became isolated from the ancestors of all other humans. We know this because modern Khoisan people have more unique genetic mutations than any other living human population. We don't know what led to this separation, but it probably involved movements of people within Africa. One theory is that a group of people migrated from southern to eastern Africa, with those staying behind becoming the ancestors of the Khoisan. The reverse scenario, in which the ancestors of the Khoisan were migrants from eastern to southern Africa, has also been proposed by geneticists. Regardless, the population ancestral to the Khoisan then remained genetically isolated for tens of thousands of years, and their lineage represents the deepest branch on the human genetic tree. But the Khoisan are not the only early human group that we can identify. Soon after their ancestors branched off, another lineage was formed that led to the so-called Pygmy people, who now live in the Congo Basin of Central Africa. Like the Khoisan, the ancestors of the Pygmies must have lived somewhere in Africa where they had infrequent contact with other human populations. A third mysterious branch of the human family tree that originated around the same time as the pygmies has also been revealed by a recent study. Referred to as a ghost population, its descendants have not survived in large amounts until the present, and it was only identified because they contributed a small proportion of ancestry to some modern-day Africans. Based on where this ancestry is found, it is speculated that they lived in northern Africa. This ghost population, along with the ancient Khoisan and Pygmy, marked the initial expansion of Homo sapiens across Africa, probably before 200,000 years ago. The genetic isolation of these populations is thought to be the result of dry climatic periods, which resulted in a harsh environment and limited movement of humans across the landscape. After 120,000 years ago, and maybe as late as 80,000 years ago, Genetics suggests that there was another period of human radiation, which gave rise to new lineages, those of people living today in Eastern Africa, Western Africa, and all continents outside of Africa. As with the earlier origin of human lineages, this period probably began with the geographic expansion of humans, possibly originating in Eastern Africa, followed by periods without much population movement. But isolation and divergence are not the only stories DNA tells. Recently, studies of modern DNA along with ancient DNA, which is DNA obtained from fossils, have provided fascinating evidence of population mixing. After the earliest lineages of Homo sapiens were established, movements of these populations within Africa brought them back into contact with each other. Evidence of one mixture can be seen in the genetic code of Eastern African foragers, like the Hadza of Tanzania, who trace about 23% of their ancestry to populations related to Southern African Khoisan. Other mixture events are revealed in the ancient DNA sequences of an 8,000-year-old individual from Cameroon and a 4,500-year-old Ethiopian, who both had more than 10% ancestry from the ghost population I mentioned before. 
There are even some genetic links between pygmies and Khoisan, which suggest mixtures between those groups. So, at some point, maybe towards the end of the Middle Stone Age, populations that had been quite isolated from each other came back into contact. Unfortunately, this genetic history of the Middle Stone Age is merely a simplification of more complex events. While DNA can provide us the broad strokes of human movement, isolation, and mixing, many of the details of when, where, and who was involved have sadly been lost in the haze of the deep past. But one piece of information that our genetic code does contain is the size of human groups among whom our ancestors lived. Amazingly, this allows geneticists to estimate population sizes as far back as the Middle Stone Age. What they have found is that human populations before 130,000 years ago were relatively stable, but small. In contrast to later human history, it appears that the early Middle Stone Age was not a period of drastic population collapse or sustained population growth. The maximum estimates come to 325,000 people living on the African continent around 200,000 years ago. This is a very rough estimate, based on several assumptions, but to put that in perspective, if those people were living just across sub-Saharan Africa, they would be living at a density of 1.4 individuals per 100 square kilometers, which is much less than the density of modern hunter-gatherer societies. While Middle Stone Age humans probably lived in small bands of 15 to 25, like most modern foragers, these population estimates suggest that these bands were not tightly packed together or were restricted to certain regions or ecosystems. So the early history of our species was not one of rapid growth, but a story of persistence in small numbers. Whereas DNA can tell us the time and place of our common ancestor, fossils reveal how the appearance of our species changed during the Middle Stone Age. Before 300,000 years ago, Africa, Europe, and Asia were inhabited by hominins with archaic features, clearly different from modern Homo sapiens. These species, such as Homo heidelbergensis and Homo erectus, had long protruding faces with larger jaws and teeth than modern humans. They had thick, bulging brow ridges above their eyes, and they lacked our pointy chin and tall forehead. Although some had brains as big as ours, their crania were shaped differently, much lower and longer than our tall, round skulls. A variety of hominins with these primitive traits lived for more than a million years across three continents. But then... Beginning in the Middle Stone Age, bones start to appear that are shaped more like modern humans. The oldest of these have been found in Africa. In a cave in Morocco called Jebel Irhud, a set of fossils from three adults, an adolescent, and a child have been reliably dated to about 315,000 years ago. These individuals had faces similar to those of modern humans, but crania shaped like those of archaic hominins. Their short faces didn't stick out like earlier African hominins, 
and the shape of their jaws was more modern. Their teeth were getting smaller, closer to modern humans. While the overall shape of the Jebel Irhut skulls is still long and low like archaic hominins, the forehead is starting to show a more rounded shape. These are the earliest known hominins that exhibit modern human traits. Aside from the specimens from Jebel Irhud, very few hominid fossils are found in Africa that are securely dated to the next 100,000 years. A partial skull found in Floresbad, South Africa, from 259,000 years ago, shows a mixture of modern and archaic traits. This specimen only includes part of the face and the front of the cranium. A depression under its cheekbone and the curvature of its forehead suggest a similarity to Jebel Irhud. And that's it. Aside from some poorly preserved and imprecisely dated fossils from eastern Africa, which seem to show some similarities to Jebel Irhud and Floresbad, we have no other early Homo sapiens fossils that are older than 200,000 years. This scant fossil record makes it difficult to know from which region of Africa these new humans emerged and where they spread to during the early stages of their evolution. There is a lot of debate among paleoanthropologists about whether these fossils should be categorized as Homo sapiens or as some other transitional species. But many experts refer to these hominins from Jebel Irhud as early Homo sapiens since they believe them to represent part of our direct evolutionary lineage. They would not have looked like any person living in the world today, but populations of these early Homo sapiens somewhere in Africa were our direct ancestors. Amazingly, an analysis of the enamel of the teeth of a seven-year-old individual from Jebel Irhud revealed that these early Homo sapiens developed at the same rate as modern humans, whereas archaic hominins grew up more quickly. For example, a Homo erectus skeleton from Kenya, nicknamed Turkanaboy, was nearly full-grown at 5 feet 3 inches tall at only 11 years old. One reason scientists think we grow up so slowly is that lots of time and energy is required for our unusually large brain to develop. Slower growth means that parents have to invest more time caring for children. It probably also increased the importance of social relations within early Homo sapiens groups, as cooperative child-rearing became more important. After 200,000 years ago, we encounter some important fossils that represent a new step in the evolution of Homo sapiens. Found at open sites that are today grasslands near lakes in the African Rift Valley, two sets of remains from Ethiopia, Omo and Erto, are dated to 195 and 160,000 years ago, respectively. Not only did their faces look modern, like those from Jebel Irhud, but they also had taller, more rounded crania than any previous fossil. The chin, a quintessential trait of Homo sapiens, makes its first appearance here. It is not only the skull, but also other bones that are becoming more like modern Homo sapiens. For example, a pelvis from Omo is narrower than those of archaic hominins, suggesting that the skinny body shape seen in modern humans had evolved by this point. While these fossils are commonly referred to as anatomically modern, 
This is deceptive because the shapes of their skulls still falls outside the range of humans living today. Also, while one specimen from Omo is very modern looking, another found there looks much more primitive. So while this is another step towards our modern anatomy, individuals in Eastern Africa ranged considerably in their appearance. The next chapter in the human fossil record takes us out of the African continent for the first time. Between 120 and 90,000 years ago, Homo sapiens inhabited the Levant, based on findings of many well-preserved skeletons in two caves in Israel, Skul and Kafsa. These remarkable specimens fall very near to the range of anatomical variation seen in modern-day humans but still retain some primitive characteristics. Both Skul and Kafsa present large variation between individuals. Also, they tend to be more robust than living humans. In other words, some of their bones, including their skulls, are thicker than modern human bones. The presence of Homo sapiens in these caves is thought to represent temporary migrations out of Africa, because no evidence of our species in the Levant is found again until 50,000 years ago, and in the interim is replaced by the skeletons of another hominid species, Neanderthals. We will explore the story of these early dispersals out of Africa in an upcoming episode. While Homo sapiens were living in caves in the Levant, similar populations were present across Africa. Fossils of early Homo sapiens dating between 130 and 70,000 years old have been found in Morocco and Egypt in the north of the continent, Ethiopia and Tanzania in the east, and many locations within South Africa. None have yet been found in the wetter climates of West and Central Africa, where bones do not preserve as well, but other archaeological evidence, like stone tools, seems to suggest that Homo sapiens had spread into these regions by this point. A particularly interesting site called Classy's River is a cave found on the coast of South Africa. Here, many fragmentary human skeletons from several individuals have been dated to between 110 and 80,000 years ago. Some possess very modern traits, like rounded crania and chins, whereas others lack these features and appear more archaic. This continues the trend we saw in Eastern Africa and the Levant, of remarkable anatomical variability between individuals found in the same site and archaeological layer. It seems that for vast stretches of human history, more than 100,000 years, people living at the same time and place exhibited large differences in morphology, maybe even within the same social groups. This would have made for a fascinating, and maybe to us, shocking variation in appearance. Based on the current fossil record, it is not until about 40,000 years ago that human cranial shape falls within the range of modern humans. At that point, we no longer see huge variations in shape, although some individuals were still more robust than anyone living today. An example of robust individuals are the iconic Cro-Magnon skeletons from southwestern France, dated to about 30,000 years ago. The appearance of fully modern anatomy is seen at about the same time in Africa 
as among human populations leaving that continent. It should be noted that fossils don't tell us everything about the biology of individuals who lived at these times. While we focus a lot on the structure of the bones to determine when Homo sapiens became modern, we should recognize that this is only part of the story. For example, skull shape doesn't necessarily reflect the inner workings of the brain, and so it can't tell us when modern levels of intelligence were reached by Homo sapiens. We will explore this question more in upcoming episodes as we examine the archaeological record. While these skeletal changes are not the whole story, they may have been related to transformative shifts in the way human bodies worked. For example, the shift to smaller teeth is probably related to eating softer, cooked food. The change from a low, long brain to a tall, round brain is hypothesized by some paleoanthropologists to relate to the changing sizes of different lobes in the brain, which may reflect the increasing importance of certain cognitive functions like language or memory. Other changes, like the development of our chin and the decreasing size of our brow, are more difficult to explain. Some of these might have been random evolutionary changes without any functional importance, or the result of sexual selection for the attractiveness of mates. So now that we've reviewed the genetic and fossil evidence for the origin of our species, how can we make sense of it all? Both genetics and fossils agree that we originated in Africa, but they don't seem to align in terms of the timing of our origin. Our DNA sequences tell us that we all share a common ancestor sometime before 150,000 years ago, whereas the fossil record shows that human anatomy only became fully modern 40,000 years ago. Wouldn't we expect the common ancestor of all living people to have the complete set of physical traits seen in modern humans? Most experts don't think so. To quote Dr. Marta Mirason-Lar, a paleoanthropologist from the University of Cambridge, the last population ancestral to all humans, that to which we trace our origins, did not look or behave like anyone alive today. This striking realization highlights the complexity of our evolutionary history that can't be seen in either genetics or fossils. Sadly, the scarcity of complete skulls in the fossil record and the limitations of genetics prevents us from knowing how populations across Africa and the Middle East were related to one another, how much they mixed with each other, and exactly which populations survived and led eventually to humans living today. Different scholars advocate different theories. Some argue for a South African origin of our species and point to the genetic evidence that Khoisan groups are the earliest lineage among living humans and early archaeological evidence in that region for modern behavior. Others view Eastern Africa as the center of human evolution, based on the presence of rounded crania at Omo and Erto in Ethiopia, and high genetic diversity of its modern inhabitants. Yet, with the newest dating of the Jebel Irhud fossils in North Africa, experts in the field have recently proposed a more complex theory of human evolution, called the African Multi-Regional Hypothesis, which says that isolated populations of early Homo sapiens evolved separately across Africa and the Middle East, 
and gradually mix together to produce the set of traits observed in modern humans today. So instead of a traditional evolutionary tree, with branches splitting off the main stem, we should picture one in which some branches reunite with each other over time, and others completely disappear as lineages went extinct. While this type of tree might be messier and harder to understand, it probably lines up better with the existing genetic and fossil evidence. One crucial factor that is necessary to explain the evolution, isolation, and mixing of early Homo sapiens populations is climate change. The first thing to understand is that the climate fluctuated drastically many times during this long period of human prehistory. In fact, for the past million years or so, Earth's climate has oscillated about every 100,000 years from cold and dry ice ages to warm and wet interglacial stages. This is the result of cyclical changes in the Earth's orbit around the Sun. Around 300,000 years ago, Earth entered an ice age. During these glacial periods, Africa got colder, but even more importantly for humans, it got much drier. There is evidence from pollen that Central African rainforests in the Congo River Basin shrank drastically and only persisted in small fragments. On the other hand, grassland, which requires less rain, and deserts like the Sahara expanded. Then, around 243,000 years ago, the Earth transitioned to a warmer interglacial period, and Africa got wetter. This would have brought back the Congo rainforest, and resulted in the phenomenon known as the Green Sahara. During these episodes, this great desert shrank, as its margins on the north and south received enough precipitation to have freshwater lakes, flowing rivers, and vegetation. Dramatic environmental changes, like the shrinking of the rainforest or the expansion of the desert, would have affected where humans were able to live. In fact, stone tools from the Middle Stone Age have been found deep in the Sahara Desert, indicating human habitation in places that today are desolate. The wet interglacial ended around 191,000 years ago, and the planet entered another ice age. This cycle has continued to repeat itself until the warm, wet interglacial period that we enjoy today. The effects of these long climatic cycles were not uniform across Africa. Some regions were impacted by climate change more acutely than others. Also, within these long 100,000-year cycles, there were shorter cycles of aridity and humidity. The dryness of the Ice Ages made large swaths of the African continent uninhabitable to early Homo sapiens populations. By drying up rivers and lakes, shrinking the populations of animals they hunted, and shifting the range of plant foods available to them. These changes would have forced them to move to the few remaining hospitable regions on the continent, and prevented movement between populations. Ice ages are thought to have resulted in small, isolated human populations, and in extreme cases, local extinctions. These scenarios are supported by some of the genetic evidence that we already saw. Estimates of population size show that our ancestors lived in very small populations during part of the Middle Stone Age. During wetter interglacial periods, 
when movement across the landscape was more feasible, human populations were expanding and mixing. For example, the presence of early Homo sapiens at the school and Kafsa caves in the Middle East starting around 120,000 years ago was during a relatively wet period, which probably facilitated out-of-Africa migrations. On the other hand, the most ancient of human lineages, the ancestors of the Khoisan, Pygmies, and the Ghost population, may have become isolated from other human populations during the preceding Ice Age between 191 and 128,000 years ago. Human population isolations during the Middle Stone Age are largely the story of human dependence on water. This reliance is reflected in the archaeological record. During wet interglacial periods of the Middle Stone Age, archaeological sites in Africa with stone tools used by early Homo sapiens are much more abundant than during dry ice ages. Human populations might have been larger and more widespread when it was wetter. In addition, all stone tools found in eastern Africa before 128,000 years ago are either next to a river or a lake. However, after this date, when the climate enters a warm and wet phase, humans in this region move away from river and lake edges. Interestingly, these East African archaeological sites from the Middle Stone Age tend to be located at the boundary between different ecosystems, specifically forests and grasslands. Early Homo sapiens chose to live in areas that had access to resources from multiple types of habitats. Another crucial insight into the movement of early Homo sapiens comes from analyses of trace elements in stone tools. These studies allow archaeologists to determine the source location of certain types of rocks to find out how far they were transported by people. A study of obsidian tools found at a site in the Rift Valley of Kenya has demonstrated that 315,000 years ago, obsidian was being transported up to 50 kilometers from five different source locations. By 200,000 years ago, obsidian was transported 166 kilometers. This extraordinary evidence shows the extent to which human groups early in the Middle Stone Age were willing to move. Some experts interpret this as evidence of people carrying stone tools with them across their own range. Others argue that these distances are outside the range of typical foragers, and that the long-distance movement of these stones must be the result of exchange networks between different groups. This alternative theory would imply a complex level of social interaction not previously documented. Regardless of whether humans were moving more or exchanging more, both point to the possibility of long-distance migrations during this period. At the same time that early Homo sapiens were moving across the African landscape, a variety of archaic hominin species on separate evolutionary paths lived inside and outside Africa. I have referred to them in passing while describing the evolution of Homo sapiens, but now we must turn our attention directly to them, since these archaic hominins will play an important role in the history of our species. 
First of all, they posed a source of competition for resources and territory in the grasslands, savannas, and woodlands of Africa, and on the migration routes into Asia, Europe, and Oceania. Yet, competition was not the only aspect of this relationship. In some cases, our ancestors might have had a cultural exchange with archaic hominins. For example, there is evidence that Neanderthals adopted our art and technology in the period after the Middle Stone Age. Not only that, but we now have definitive genetic evidence of various episodes of interbreeding between Homo sapiens and multiple species of archaic hominins. For example, 2% of the DNA of all non-African people living today is Neanderthal DNA. This amazing discovery was only made in the past decade using new technology that allows us to sequence the DNA from hominin bones that are tens of thousands of years old, including several Neanderthals. So let's take a moment to get to know the archaic hominins with which our ancestors shared the world for many millennia. We currently are aware of six archaic species in the genus Homo living after 300,000 years ago, with whom our ancestors may have had contact. They include Homo heidelbergensis and Homo naledi in Africa, Neanderthals in Europe and Western Asia, Denisovans in Eastern Asia, and Homo floresiensis and Homo lusonensis on the islands of Southeast Asia. While Homo erectus probably did survive in Southeast Asia past the origin of Homo sapiens, it is unlikely our species arrived there before they went extinct. Each of these archaic hominins have their own fascinating history, but today I'm going to focus on those that are most relevant to the Middle Stone Age. In Africa, Homo heidelbergensis is very possibly the archaic hominin from which Homo sapiens evolved. We have very few fossils of theirs, so our knowledge is quite limited. But scientists have put together that they lived in Africa and Eurasia from about 800 until at least 250,000 years ago. This archaic hominin was about as tall as us and had a brain size that was within the range of modern humans. They probably made fire, definitely used stone tools, made wooden spears, and hunted large animals, such as wild horses. While some populations of Heidelbergensis evolved into Homo sapiens in Africa, it seems that other populations maintained their primitive physical traits and lived alongside early Homo sapiens in Africa for some part of the Middle Stone Age. A clearly Heidelbergensis skull from Zambia is dated to 300,000 years ago, and a leg bone in South Africa is dated to 250,000 years ago. Finally, there is evidence in the DNA of modern African people of an interbreeding event that occurred only 35,000 years ago between Homo sapiens and some unknown archaic hominin. If this remarkable finding is correct, it means that a population of archaic hominins in Africa perhaps Homo heidelbergensis, survived much later than we had thought based on the fossil evidence. Jumping next to the Neanderthals, we find a hominin who, like us, descended from Homo heidelbergensis. The Homo sapiens lineage is estimated to have diverged from Neanderthals 
only about 500 to 400,000 years ago, and their evolutionary trajectory in Europe was a parallel path to ours in many respects. They lived from about 400 to 40,000 years ago in Western Eurasia, and evolved to have brains as large as modern humans. Males were 5 feet 5 inches tall on average and were stockier than modern humans. This was likely an adaptation to preserve heat in a cold climate. Like Heidelbergensis, they mastered fire and hunted large animals with wooden spears, but also developed more advanced stone tool technology, wore clothing, and made shelters. The remains they left behind show evidence of the most cognitive sophistication of all hominins with the exception of Homo sapiens. They even used pigments, which indicates some level of symbolic reasoning, a characteristic once thought to only belong to modern human beings. Early Homo sapiens probably came into contact with Neanderthals several times during the Middle Stone Age, at the border of their ranges in the Middle East. However, the most dramatic encounter between us and the Neanderthals came with the expansion of Homo sapiens out of Africa around 50,000 years ago. This meeting produced substantial interbreeding, leaving traces of Neanderthal DNA in all non-African people living today. We will discuss this encounter in detail in a future episode. The next archaic hominin is more distantly related to us than Heidelbergensis or Neanderthals. Homo naledi, found in a cave in South Africa in 2015, and dated to about 300,000 years ago, stands about 4 feet 9 inches tall and presents a surprising combination of traits. It has shoulders, arms, and long fingers that indicate it was adapted to climb in trees, yet its thumb and wrist show traits similar to modern humans and Neanderthals thought to allow for manipulation of objects like tools. Its feet were adapted for walking upright, but its arms were not ideal for throwing or running like ours are. Its brain was less than half the size of ours, and its skull shares characteristics with primitive members of the Homo genus, such as Homo habilis, that lived 2.5 million years ago. This is a surprising and strange combination of traits, one scientists are still trying to explain. But amazingly, the likely coexistence in southern Africa around 300,000 years ago of Naledi and early Sapiens poses the possibility that our ancestors encountered them climbing through the canopy of forested environments, much as I described in today's opening scene. This quick summary illustrates the incredible diversity of hominin life that existed within the lifespan of our species. I have skipped past the Denisovans, Homo floresiensis, and Homo luzonensis since they don't play much of a role in early Homo sapiens prehistory, but I will revisit them in future episodes. There are some questions we might never be able to answer about the interaction between us and other human species. For instance, did members of our species ever sit next to a campfire with a Neanderthal or Heidelbergensis and successfully communicate? Or did early bands of Homo sapiens completely shun them out of fear? They must have recognized basic human qualities in each other, and yet both species 
probably viewed the other as a threat to their survival at times. If I had to guess, the relationship between our ancestors and their phylogenetic cousins probably fluctuated between harmonious and violent throughout the ages. In our next episode, we will introduce the archaeology of the Middle Stone Age and learn much more about the behavior of early Homo sapiens, who were on the evolutionary pathway to becoming fully modern. This has been Our Prehistory. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider visiting this podcast's Patreon page and becoming a monthly contributor so that I can continue bringing you Our Prehistory.